There's a story I wanted to get to yesterday that I do not want to skip over amid the more pressing and depressing news. It is a news story more shocking than anything we have seen, even in the tumultuous recent weeks. A Democrat has been held accountable for his crimes. Sort of, at least a little bit. Democrat Congressman Jamal Bowman, who last March called me a Nazi hell-bent on keeping only white men alive and in power, has been indicted for falsely pulling a fire alarm at the U.S. Capitol. He was ordered to report to Capitol Police headquarters yesterday to be booked, fingerprinted, photographed, and processed. And the charge carries a maximum penalty of six months in jail, which Bowman will never serve because, actually, here's the best part. He's pleading guilty. And therefore, he's just paying a fine and apologizing. While it might be fun to send him to jail, I'm actually more satisfied by the guilty plea. Because the guilty plea proves that Congressman Bowman, who initially denied the crime, is in fact a shameless liar. Did I mention he called me a Nazi back in March? Yeah, he admitted to being a big fat liar. Also, it proves that the Democrats who defended him are either dupes or shameless hacks. Here is AOC. There he is uh, pulling the fire alarm. He says it was an accident. He thought pulling the alarm would open a door uh, based on the fact that the doors to his right there were locked and there was a sign that he said he was, con- I think someone said it was confusing. I- I'll be honest, uh, it doesn't really make sense to me, his explanation. Have you talked to him? What's going on? I mean, listen, I think if you actually do see some of the photos of the signs, I think there's there's something to be said about the government's about to shut down. There's a vote clock that's going down. The exits that are normally open in that building were suddenly closed. He pulled a fire alarm. So I'm I'm what I am here to say is that. House administration and U.S. Capitol Police and Jamal Bowman are inactive and he's fully participating in saying there was a misunderstanding. But what I do think is important to raise is the fact that Republicans, representatives like Nicole Maliotakis and others, immediately moved to file motions to censure, motions to expel before there, before there has even been conversations that are, that are finished to even see if there was a misunderstanding here. AOC, to her credit, at least seemed half-hearted in her defense of the indefensible Bowman. The liberal ladies of The View, on the other hand, seemed intent on mounting a serious defense. I don't want to call it a stunt yet. There's going to be an investigation. (laughs) I know Jamal. And so, again, I'm a little biased. But the doors that are normally open so that he could get to the chambers to read were somehow miraculously closed. How did that happen? And so, yes, sometimes you're freaking well, out and you're it, in an elevator and you're pressing all the buttons. It goes to what you were saying. It goes okay? to them not having the time. It is quite possible that he was trying to get and there and the, and the door, not panic, but, you know, if you're not looking <laughs> because it's a door that's normally open, you just go and you press a button. You know, not the it fire alarm button. Like, I was just scared of that well, I, I don't know because I don't know what it. I haven't seen the fire alarm button, it so said I don't fire. know. Yeah, I don't. And know. it was a like fire exit only sign. It was like no, active. because you have to break glass to press the to get to the button. Well, so I don't see? know. I don't know. It seems pretty fire alarm to me. I don't know. It just looks like a button. I can't see the button. Yeah, the fire alarm looked pretty clear to Bowman at least. His Bowman pulled it to obstruct an official congressional procedure a crime for which Midwestern grannies have been sent to rot in solitary confinement. The guilty plea is a good start. Now it's time for newly empowered House Republicans 
at least to censure Mr. Bowman, at least, and better still, to boot him out of Congress. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. A young lady has gone viral for whining about her nine to five job and everyone's making fun of her, especially all the conservative pundits. And I'm kind of on her side, actually. We'll get kind of. We'll get to it in a second. First, though, speaking of that newly empowered House Republican caucus, the new Republican Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, the hits just keep on coming. This guy opened up his tenure as Speaker by speaking directly and explicitly about God. I want to tell all my colleagues here what I told the Republicans in that room last night. I don't believe there are any coincidences in a matter like this. I believe that Scripture, the Bible, is very clear that that God is the one that raises up those in authority. He raised up each of you, all of us. And, And I believe that God has ordained and allowed each one of us to be brought here for this specific moment in this time. This is my belief. I believe that each one of us has a huge responsibility today to use the gifts that God has given us to serve the extraordinary people of this great country, and they deserve it. Beautifully put, for the Christian, there is no such thing as a mere coincidence. For a Christian, the world is rich and teeming with symbols. For a Christian, history has meaning. For a Christian, God enters into history not only directs history from far away, but actually enters into history and becomes the very pivot of history. And everything has its purpose. And God knows every hair on your head before you're born. And there is no such thing as a mere coincidence. That's really, really important. All nature is but art unknown to thee, all chance direction which thou canst not see. We are called to act in the world. We are called also to interpret. Our Lord says that a wicked generation seeks after signs and wonders, and to that generation, no sign shall be given, none but the sign of Jonah, which is the sign of a man in the belly of the whale for three days. And it's the very sign of our Lord's resurrection and the meaning of history in the, in the bowels of hell, harrowing hell, resurrected on the third day. All of this coming from the speaker's chair is likely to uh, rankle some feathers of the more secular set. But this is my favorite part about the whole thing. Because what Mike Johnson said there would have been totally normal. No one would have batted an eyelash for the first 230 years of our nation's history for a Speaker of the House to invoke God directly and to point out that history has meaning and that we're here for a purpose and, and to, to point out the, the symbols that, that exist in all of our daily lives. No one would, that would have been totally normal. You heard all of this, this kind of God talk for all of our nation's history until starting in the middle of the 20th century, the atheists and the secularists started to creep in and tried to pretend that somehow the First Amendment banishes God from public life. Of course, nothing could be further from the truth. And it's really important for Mike Johnson to speak this way because not only do the liberals want to banish God from public life, but there are a lot of fashionable conservatives who who think that it's kind of low class. It's kind of, it doesn't, it's just kind of deplorable and irredeemable and icky to talk about God. We need to speak, look, we need to make our arguments in secular terms. 
We need, we're, we got to cut it out with the God talk. We might believe in God in our own private lives, in the recesses of our mind, but we got to, we got to make our arguments in secular terms. Why? To appease the left, which is wrong about virtually everything? Why would we do that? I hear this. I hear this from self-styled conservatives all the time. Look, I'm going to make my arguments for X or Y policy issue in secular terms. Why? Why would you do that? If you make your arguments in terms that deny the existence of God, you're probably going to go wrong because that's the first principle, man. That's the, that's the most basic question that there is. And if you get the most basic question wrong, you're probably going to go pretty, pretty far off the rails pretty quickly. I love that what we're seeing here with Mike Johnson, which seems so radical, he seems like the most rock-ribbed, hardcore conservative ever to sit in the speaker's chair. And in, in recent years, I guess he is. But what he represents is a return to normal. What he represents is a return to sanity that has, that has typified the American government for most of our nation's history, that has typified Western governments broadly for most of our history. But these days in our absurd times seems bizarre, seems very unusual. The other strong evidence that this guy knows what he's doing is a picture from Speaker Johnson's youth where he's standing, I, I suppose that's his wife, and, and they're taking a picture together. And you may have seen a meme going around that measures a man's virility and masculinity by whether or not he is standing up straight while the woman in the picture, or I guess even the man in the picture, is leaning into him. Whoever is leaning the most is the subservient person in the relationship, and whoever is standing up the straightest whoever is, is most in composure of himself, that would be the alpha in the relationship. This according to the internet. And there's this picture where Mike Johnson taking a photo with this beautiful lady who I assume to be his wife, and she is totally leaning in to Mike Johnson. Mike Johnson, not only standing up straight, he's actually leaning back a little bit. This is a degree of sigma chattity. This is a degree of virility uh, heretofore unknown to scientists. And it, to me, augurs well of, of what will come in his speakership. And we got to talk about these important issues. When you want to talk to your friends, you got to check out Pure Talk. Right now, go to puretalk.com slash Knowles. Pure Talk recently announced that they would alleviate $10 million in veteran debt by Veterans Day. Thanks to your support last week, Pure Talk is 53% toward that goal with two weeks to go. Now, just think about this. We have a 100% volunteer military men and women who raise their hands to sacrifice for our country. And when they're done serving, they come back to a tight job market and an outrageous cost of living expenses. That is one of the many reasons that I'm so happy a private company like Pure Talk has jumped in to help. When you switch to Pure Talk's lightning fast 5G network, they will donate a portion of every new order to this noble cause. You can make a real difference just by choosing superior cell service. Pure Talk's plans start at just 20 bucks a month, offering unlimited talk, text, more data, and a mobile hotspot. Just go to puretalk.com slash Knowles, to make the switch. Let's rally together and show our unwavering support for our veterans. Go to puretalk.com slash Knowles, switch to Pure Talk today. It is the right move, and it's the American way. Speaking of women, a woman has gone viral for whining about her job. This clip thanks, as always, to our friends over at Libs of TikTok. Everybody is making fun of this woman. Here's why. I know I'm probably just being so dramatic and annoying, 
but this is my first job like my first nine to five job after college and i'm in person and i'm commuting in the city and it takes me forever to get there there's no way i'm gonna be able to afford living in the city right now so that's off the table like duh if i was able to walk to work and it w- it'd be fine but i'm not so it literally takes me like i leave here like i get on the train at 7 30 and i don't get home till like 6 15 earliest and then like i don't have time to do anything i don't i want to shower eat my dinner and go to sleep i don't have time or energy to cook my dinner either like i don't have energy to work out like that's out the window like i'm so upset oh my god nothing to do with my job at all but just like the nine to five schedule in general is crazy being in the office nine to five like if it was remote you get off at five and you're home and everything's fine but like i'm not home it takes me long to get home and like like people that drive to the office like it doesn't you don't get off at five and i know it could be worse i know i could be working longer but like I literally get off, it's pitch black, like, I don't have energy, how do you have friends, like, how do you have time to, like, meet, like, a guy, I don't know, like, how do you have time for, like, dating, like, I don't have time for anything, and I'm, like, so stressed out, and I'm also getting my period, so that's why I'm all emotional, but, like, am I so dramatic? It's fine. Why are people making fun of her? Everything she said was right. (laughs) She opens up, she says, hey, I'm probably gonna sound really annoying and overly dramatic here, but... Anyway, I'm going to complain about my job because the cities are too expensive to live in now, and it feels unnatural for me, a lady, to be working in exactly the same way that a man is, which is true for most of human history. That would never have happened. But because of feminism, we have to pretend that men and women are exactly the same. She goes, and I don't really like that. That doesn't make me feel good or normal in any way. And then I got to commute all the way back and I do this job. I don't really like this job and I, I'm not getting paid enough, so I can't live closer. So it makes it even harder. Then I come back and I don't, don't really have much time for a, a life. And it's very hard to date. It is very hard to date for young people, especially in this stupid feminist society and, and malordered economy. And then she says, and by the way, you know, I'm also just, I'm a, I'm about to menstruate. So I'm probably just being irrational, which is also probably true. I, I, I give her not a 10 out of 10, but a nine out of 10 in the arguments that she's making. The part that people are really making fun of is that she's complaining about working a nine to five because a lot of people work a lot more than a nine to five. Though her argument is, well, it's more than a nine to five because I got to leave my house an hour and a half before I actually get there and I get back an hour and a half later. So it ends up being not an eight hour job, but more like a 10 or 11 hour job. And, and that's true. But even on that point, I think she's getting at something really important, which is it is important to do your job with purpose. Many people listening right now do not work nine to five. Many people listening right now, maybe most, don't work just eight hours a day. They work nine or 10 or 11 or 12. I couldn't tell you the last time I worked eight hours a day. But then again, I can't tell you the last time I worked because my job doesn't really feel like work. Some of the time it feels like work, but a lot of the time it doesn't because I'm doing something that I feel is purposeful and has a meaning and I enjoy it. Or at the very least, even if I'm not actively enjoying it at any given moment, I'm deriving some deal of satisfaction and gratification from it. And this can be true of any job. You can consecrate any kind of work, even the sort of work that elites would sneer at and say is meaningless or drudge work or menial. Uh, No, you can consecrate that work to God. You You can find profound meaning in that. 
I mean, a, a classic example of this is if all of the journalists suddenly disappeared from the earth tomorrow, nothing would change. If all of the plumbers or sanitation workers disappeared from the earth, society would come to a grinding halt within about 12 hours. There's deep meaning in that, even though in our society, we, we deny such a thing and we pretend that the only work that matters is, I don't know, Hollywood or journalists or some wacko academics in their ivory towers. But no, there, there, there has to be meaning there. But so the, the issue that she's complaining about is not just, uh, my job is annoying sometimes, which is an issue that every single person who has ever lived will deal with. The issue that she's, she's complaining about is the dearth of meaning which ties right back in with with what we were talking about when it comes to Speaker Johnson. If you think that there's no point to life, that we're just here to feel pleasure at any given moment, you're going to be miserable most of the time because you got to work. You got to work at your job. You got to work on your personal relationships. You got to work in your home. You got to you got to work. By the sweat of our brow, we will we will have our food. If you think there is a, a purpose, though, which is, okay, I'm not just going to date aimlessly. I'm going to get married. And I'm not just going to be in a partnership like the liberals talk about today, but I'm going to have a real family. And I'm going to have kids if I'm blessed to have kids. And I'm going to raise those kids. And I'm going to do so for a purpose because I think that we're here to uh, be fruitful and multiply and to flourish in our communities and to pursue the good and to glorify God. You're going to have a much easier time, and that eight-hour job is going to feel a lot shorter, and that 12-hour job is going to feel like an eight-hour job, and you're not going to be concerned about uh, all the time you feel you're wasting. In fact, you're going to feel like there isn't enough time at all. Now, speaking of young women talking about their work in in viral videos, I have to turn our attention to uh, Greta Thunberg, who appears to have gone viral. I say that intentionally. She appears to have gone viral, uh, giving her thoughts on how to proceed in the upcoming world war. War is always bad, specifically for the planet. If we want to continue uh, fighting battles like environmentally conscious humans, we must make the change to sustainable tanks and weaponry. There are so many new concepts um, for uh, battery-powered fighter jets that can carry many more um, missiles biodegradable missiles, of course. Something literally everybody can do to stop this nonsense is, for example, block the roads to gardens and farms so the plants don't get overrun by these heavy, heavy tanks. Hand grenades, very important. If you use hand grenades, please use vegan grenades. (laughs) No animal should have to give their life for all this mayhem and chaos. They have a special sticker on them. You really can't miss them in the... uh, grenade market or wherever you buy them. Yeah, I cover all of this and more in my newest book, Vegan Wars. Vegan Wars. This video had me going until the vegan grenades. And then I looked around and it's pretty well labeled. It says AI humor. And even though it says BBC and it's really good. This is a really good deep fake. It's not a hundred percent of the way there, but it's, I don't know, 94, 95% of the way there. And, and this is another issue where the chattering class is bemoaning, they're, they're uh, rending their garments over the spread of deepfakes. I think deepfakes are great. I'm, I'm all for the deepfakes. Obviously, they could be abused, but th- the thing I like about the deepfakes is they deplete the power of gotcha moments. They deplete the power of, you know, you, you get a decent political candidate 
But then, I don't know, they said something untoward and they got caught on camera doing it 20 years ago. And so now that's going to ruin their lives. With, with deep fakes now totally pervasive, people are going to question e- even the videos that they're seeing before their very eyes. And so while this might lead some to a, a kind of radical skepticism, I think the society is already at the stage of radical skepticism. We deny objective truth. We believe all sorts of cockamamie things like the notion that men can become women. So I'm not, I'm not worried about the spread of skepticism. What I like about the deepfakes is that it tunes us in more closely to what is going on right now, to, to the tangible, to the local, to the things with which we have a direct connection so that we're not merely being hypnotized by the mass media, which is probably the number one tool of, of hypnotism, of control by the political elite. I'm all for it. Bring on those deep fakes and bring on those vegan hand grenades. Now, as the political order goes up in smoke, you're probably going to want some tangible assets, speaking of things you can hold on to, and that's why you want to check out Birch Gold. Right now, text Knowles to 989898. The G20, or Group of 20, is an international forum for governments and central bank governors. It was established in response to the financial crises of the late 1990s with the aim of promoting international financial stability. Last month, the G20 announced a plan to impose digital currencies and digital IDs on their respective populations. Central bank digital currencies essentially allow the government to track every purchase you make. Even if you don't follow international economic policies closely, you should be concerned. And you should consider diversifying at least some of your assets into physical gold with the help of Birch Gold Group. Call Birch Gold today to preserve your savings in a tax-sheltered retirement account. If you have an IRA or 401k from a previous employer, call Birch Gold and they will help you convert it into an IRA in gold. You won't pay a penny out of pocket. They will simply convert that 401k that would otherwise be sitting in a bank somewhere into physical gold, which can't be tampered with. Text Knowles, Canada WLES, to 989898. Birch Gold will send you a free info kit on gold. If digital currency becomes a reality, you will be glad that you have something physical to fall back on. Text Knowles, Canada WLES, to 989898 and claim your free info kit on gold today. Folks, when we talk about really valuable things, I've got the top of the list. You can now get the limited edition Michael Knowles pumpkin spice candle. Here it is. Don't wait. We sold out once. We then massively ordered as many as we could. It's still pretty tight, but we're producing them as quickly as the little the little pumpkin patch hands can, can make them. Order your candles now. They are only available during pumpkin spice season at dailywire.com slash shop. Mm. Oh, wow. Delish. Also, I've been burning this candle constantly for a very long time now, and there's still a fair bit of candle left. This is a very well-made candle. Artisanal pumpkin spice candles. Speaking of political violence, uh, there's a troubling survey out, uh, which is from the Public Religion Research Institute and Brookings, uh, Brookings, which shows that one in four Americans believe political violence is justified to save the country. And this headline is going everywhere. They say, here we go. We're descending into civil war and violence. Uh, Usually it's being blamed on those MAGA right-wing Republican terrorists who are trying to kill everybody. What does the survey really say? It says today about 23% of Americans, just a little under one in four, agree that, quote, because things have gotten so far off track, true American patriots may have to resort to violence in order to save our country. This is up from 15% in 2021. 
in principle, that statement is always true in every state, everywhere around the world for all of history. This is a point I made a while ago that I got in trouble for making when it was some crazy Democrat New Mexico governor tried to uh, suspend certain laws by saying we're essentially in a time of crisis and we have to uh, we have to ignore certain rights and liberties uh, because we face an existential threat. And at the time, what got me in trouble was I said what she is doing is wrong. She was suspending some some part of gun rights in, in Albuquerque or something. I, I said what she is actually doing practically is wrong and is not defensible. But the principle that she is articulating is a true enough principle. Because ultimately, if the political order breaks down, then extraordinary powers necessarily will be invoked to preserve it. And this notion was defended by the American Founding Fathers. It was defended, for goodness sakes, by Thomas Jefferson, who was the most classically liberal-minded of the prominent Founding Fathers, who wrote the Declaration of Independence. But this is always true. It's just as true as this principle here. If the political order breaks down, there will be political violence. And in fact, uh, a the, the exercise of political violence will be justified to preserve the order, just as extraordinary political powers will be justified so that the entire political system doesn't collapse. I'm not recommending this. I'm not saying we're in this time now. I'm not encouraging anybody to take that up. I'm not looking forward to a time when the political order breaks down and political violence becomes more popular. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just observing that is necessarily what will happen throughout all of history. And some people, a little bit on the right, but mostly on the left, are very cavalier about all of that. I mean, the left openly promotes political violence through terrorist groups like Antifa and BLM. And in recent weeks, I guess, Hamas. They're, they're all for political violence targeting civilians. But that kind of chaos, that kind of anarchy will inevitably result in more violence and the, in fact, the only way to justify it would be to, to uh, use it in order to preserve the political order. But that gets very dicey, very, very quickly. And the people who are clamoring for civil war or armed insurrection or anything like that, mostly on the left, but occasionally you hear it a little bit on the right, I fear they do not know what they are signing up for. Because it, ju- just as we're sleepwalking toward World War III in Ukraine and in the Middle East, so too, we hear this at home. Oh, yes, we're on the brink of civil war. We need a national divorce. We need, we need partition. Yeah, when has that ever happened peacefully? Wouldn't be so cavalier about that, man. Now, speaking of political violence and the outbreak of World War III, there is a conflict right now. There is a genocide that is going on right now that is not making very many headlines. We hear about the conflict in Ukraine. We hear about the conflict in Gaza and the state of Israel. We hear about potential genocides from both sides, especially in Gaza and the state of Israel. You probably haven't heard very much about the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict, which is a conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan, Muslim country. Armenia, a Christian country. Not only a Christian country, the oldest Christian country in the world. A country that converted at at a national level to Christianity in the early 4th century. And right now, Azerbaijan not only ethnically cleansed a territory formerly held by the Armenians, Nagorno-Karabakh, but 
uh, now threatens the Armenian people more broadly. So how did this happen? Azerbaijan claimed this territory, the Nagorno-Karabakh, because Stalin and the Soviet Union came in and conquered Azerbaijan and Armenia, and Stalin uh, essentially gave this territory to Azerbaijan. Then the Soviet Union collapses. Then there's conflict over the territory. There's a ceasefire in 1994. And in 1994, this region, full of Armenians, but not within the borders of what we now call present-day Armenia, declares itself the Republic of Artsakh and is allowed to exist in practice as an independent state within Azerbaijan. Then, 16 years, more than 16 years later, uh, 26 years later, I guess, the conflict gets a little bit hot again. In 2020, there were border clashes. It ends with Azerbaijan coming in and taking big portions of the Republic of Artsakh, which is sort of Armenia, but not exactly Armenia, but it's filled with Armenians, but even Armenia wouldn't recognize the independence of the Republic of Artsakh. Then what happened? The Azerbaijanis continue to get more and more aggressive against the Armenians. Why? Because Russia which had been under Stalin one of the causes of this conflict, had actually been the peacekeepers. But Russia got bogged down in the Ukraine war. Had Russia just gone in and ended the Ukraine war within two weeks, you probably wouldn't have seen this break out or it wouldn't have gotten as bad as it did. But because Russia ended up getting bogged down in the war in Ukraine, which is still ongoing, the conflict begins to fester. Now, Azerbaijan comes in and blockades the Takin, I'm probably mispronouncing that, corridor and cuts off Nagorno-Karabakh from the outside world. So it cuts off these Armenians from the outside world and all the kinds of atrocities that you hear about, the, the starvation, the blockades, the death, the rape, the violence, you hear about coming from this region. So then what happens? Now things are, are even dicier. Israel, which is a U.S. ally, took the side of Azerbaijan. Why did Israel, this is my biggest complaint against the state of Israel in recent years. Israel takes the side of Azerbaijan because Azerbaijan is an ally of, or is, is an opponent, rather, of Iran. And Iran is the biggest enemy of Israel. So Iran, a Muslim country, takes the side of Armenia, the Christian country, against the other Muslim country, Azerbaijan. Russia, which had been to some degree, protecting the rights of the Armenians could come in now and take the side of Azerbaijan because Azerbaijan seems to be winning the conflict. What about Turkey? What about, what is the United States' role here? I, for one, as an American, would like to see us protect the Armenians out of Christian solidarity, if for nothing else. But where does it all stand? It all shows you the complexities of foreign policy, which... Everyone likes to spout off on the minute any conflict breaks out. Everyone likes to, you know, have a hyper-focus on the conflicts that are, are the big headline stories in the news. But these kind of conflicts, even up to the point of genocide, happen all over the world, and they happen much more regularly than we would like to admit. And this is crucial. If the war in the Middle East expands, as it seems like it will, you could trigger so many other conflicts that you could be in a world war, a true world war, involving a huge number, if not most nations of the earth, in the blink of an eye. What happens if the war in Israel and Gaza expands to include Iran? What is that going to mean 
for Armenia and Azerbaijan and Russia. And we haven't even talked about China. What's it going to mean in Ukraine? What's it going to mean for the United States? How quickly could we go from bad to much, much worse? It's much more to talk about before we get to the mailbag. First, though, you've been asking us for an alternative in kids' media. Now it's finally here. The Daily Wire has just launched Bent Key, our brand new kids' platform. Well, we're all sick of Hollywood pushing a leftist propaganda agenda on our kids. Now, here is an answer for those of us looking for kids' shows that we can trust. Bent Key is brand new. It's available to download right now. It's an entirely new company from The Daily Wire dedicated to creating the next generation of timeless stories that transport kids into a world of adventure, imagination, and joy. The content is phenomenal, high-quality, fun. My kids love it. This stuff, I already had high expectations for it. This totally exceeded my expectations. I could never have imagined that The Daily Wire was going to provide all of this for its members without increasing the price of the annual membership. In fact, I think we should have increased the price of the annual membership. But hey, I don't make these decisions. And Daily Wire wanted to give a a huge value add for the members. This is a $99 value you get completely for free. But that goes to show is that we don't just talk about changing culture. We put it into action. We really believe in what we're doing. And as I said, if you're already a DW Plus member, you already have Bent Key. Just download the app to start streaming now. If you're not a member, there's never been more value to joining than right this second. You get all of the DW Plus content that you know and love, plus Bent Key at no additional cost. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe right now to start streaming the next generation of kids' entertainment. My favorite comment yesterday is from Demolition Man 5003 who says, wow, so we live in the USSR now. That was so coerced. You can tell that the government basically said, do this or your life is over. Yes, speaking of Stalin, speaking of the USSR, uh, the the confession from Jenna was was so depressing, Not, not because of whatever it means for Jenna, not because of what it means for Trump's defense that his former lawyer is taking a plea deal. No, I'm not, not because... Any, any of us would have necessarily done any differently because of what it says about the regime. It feels like we are living in the Soviet Union. There's so much more I want to get to. There's so much more to say today. But we got to get to the mailbag. This mailbag is sponsored by Pure Talk. Go to puretalk.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, today. Take it away. All right, Michael, I have a weird one for you. So I get my dog groomed um, kind of regularly every few months, and she's kind of crazy, to put it mildly. We've gone through a few groomers, and just recently I found one that I really like. She has great customer service. She's great with my dog. My dog likes her. Um, She gets the job done. No issues. And I started noticing that she has a lot of, like, occult-looking tattoos, (laughs) which was kind of weird to me. And curiosity got the better of me, and I went and looked her up on Facebook, and sure enough, she's like an avowed Satanist. (laughs) Anyway, I don't know if I just should have minded my business on that. Um, (laughs) I really know where to go from here. I don't know if I feel comfortable doing business with somebody who's a Satanist. I just want to know what you would do, Michael. Any advice would be great. Thanks. I would not have a dog. I feel totally vindicated now in my relatively anti-dog stance because this is what happens. You get a dog, you get the cute little pooch, and then all of a sudden you're doing business with Satanists. Uh, But if I had a dog, I would not do business with a Satanist in any circumstance. But, But before you fire her, you might ask about the tattoos. 
you, you know, you bring your dog there. Dogs don't have immortal souls, so you don't need to worry about, you know, any, any terrible things happening to your dog. But you could go there and say, hey, what's that tattoo mean? People get tattoos because they want to talk about them. No one gets a tattoo because they don't want to talk about whatever the tattoo represents. They, they got it permanently etched onto their body. It's something they want to talk about. They want, they want it to be noticed. So you could ask about it. And then you could use it as an opportunity to evangelize. I'm not saying you necessarily are obligated to do that and to go you know, make a disciple of every dog groomer in the world, but it would be a good thing to do. So you could, you could do that. And then worst case, you fire her. And, and what's the worst thing she does? She tries to like put a hex on you or something. Well, who cares? You're, you know, your God beats all the demons and the devil. So that, that's okay. But you could, you could use that as an opportunity. Next question. Hello, Michael. Sending my greetings from the beautiful Croatia. I mm-hmm. hope you will come one day to do a speech. I'm still waiting to get my speechless Controlling Words, Controlling Minds book signed. Uh, but I'm here on this mailbag to actually bring some good and good good news to you, actually, which is quite rare, I know. So my friend works in a kindergarten, and he just sent me today uh, a page from questions which they grade their kids' uh, maturity. And this specific question was in regards to their emotional maturity. And one of the points which actually brings it up is uh, the child knows that he will grow up to be a man or a woman, that he, cha- that he can change his gender by dressing or uh, having long hair. So he can't be considered a man or a woman by aesthetically looking like a man or a woman, even though they don't usually look like either one. Uh, yeah, this really made me happy today. I hope you enjoy your week, the next week, the weekend, if, because it's a Friday. And yeah, peace. Hope to see you one day. I loved hearing that that message. That really did set off my weekend in a great way. One, because I love that the show is making it to Croatia. That is great. That is absolutely fabulous. But two, just underscores the point that Eastern Europe is the hope. Eastern Europe, which was once dominated by the communists, actually maybe because it was dominated by the communists, keep producing these much more conservative societies. You think of Hungary. Hungary is the leader in Europe for conservatism. You think of Poland. Poland's pretty good. Croatia now too. Croatia knows the difference between a man and a woman. That's great news. Maybe we in the West need to look East a little bit to learn some lessons that apparently kindergartners already know. Next question. Hi, Michael. Big fan of the show. So if we were to remove your political views from the equation and you were to meet the other Daily Wire hosts out in the world outside of the Daily Wire, do you think that you would still be friends? And if so, on what basis? Thanks. Yes. Uh, In fact, I know that because that is what happened, because we were friends before the Daily Wire existed. So at least least me, Jeremy, Ben, and Drew were all friends before Daily Wire existed. I guess we met, Candace kind of came on the scene after the Daily Wire existed, but we we did become friends, not, not only when we started working together, but years before that. Uh, Matt, too. Matt was around, he was in a different, I think he was living in Texas. No, he was living in the, the Hilterlands somewhere of Maryland or Pennsylvania or something um, in the early days of Daily Wire. But yeah, yeah, we would. I guess the only part of your question that doesn't make sense to me is, you say, if you took your political views out of it, would you still be friends? 
And I, do, I don't even really know what that means because a political view is not just whether you like this candidate or that candidate. A political view is not just what's your stance on immigration. Politics is how we all live together. Politics, political just means public. So if you, if you have views on anything that pertains to the public, on how we live together, on man relates to his fellow man, that would be a political view. And if you put political views aside, I don't really know what you would be left with. You could be left with metaphysical views, theological views, philosophical views, but really not even, because all of those things touch on politics, because they touch on human nature and how man relates to his fellow man. So I, I just, I don't think it, it would be meaningful to say, put your political views aside. Your political views touch on virtually everything that you would think about. But would we be friends outside the Daily Wire? Yes. And in fact, we were. Next question. Hey, Michael. I'm from America's evil top hat, as you say. <laughs> um, and I'm quite upset because I don't have access to the new uh, Bent Key application. And I could never, with my subscription, get a uh, Leftist Ears Tumblr. And most importantly, I don't have access to the store to buy your best-selling game, yes or no. So, what are you going to do about that? I'm speechless. By the way, guys, can we get a couple bells here? We've had two mentions so far in the mailbag. Not one bell has gone off. Is Mr. Davies asleep at the switchboard over there? There we go. Okay. I guess that'll suffice. I'm very sorry to hear that you you're not able to get the DW and Bentkey products up in America's Evil Top Hat. I guess I'm not surprised. I assume that, you know, there's there are Gestapo standing at the border preventing any good, wholesome, sane content from getting in up there these days under the tyranny of Justin Trudeau. Uh, but I guess my advice would be that you should move south. You should don't, and you can, you're going to have a harder time moving, moving south across the northern border. But if you fly to Mexico and or Nicaragua or Guatemala or El Salvador, El Salvador is actually pretty good now. They've got a great right-wing leader, but I don't know, Ecuador. Well, actually Ecuador is doing a little better. And whatever you got to do, escape Canada and then come on over here. And then you can get the books and you can get the candles and you can get Bent Key and you can get a very special project. What I consider to be the most important project the Daily Wire has ever commenced upon, which will be announced shortly. Okay. Let's get to some written mailbag questions. This question up from Mike. Hey, Smokey Mike. I've been seeing this gal for a few months now. I'm absolutely taken with her. She's smart, exciting, active, and an incredible smile. Uh, and a devout Catholic. My question is, how does one ask a woman to be his girlfriend? I'm 29 and have been out of the formal dating game for some time. And there only seem to be two ways for the conversation to go. One seems juvenile while the other seems clinical. Even the term girlfriend makes me cringe. Any advice here would be much appreciated. And as you are the DW love guru, indispensable, I'm sure. Thank you and God bless. Well, if you've been seeing this girl for months now, I don't know where the ambiguity would be. I guess it depends on how you're seeing her. One hopes that you're you know, not doing naughty things that only married people are supposed to do. But there would be other ways of, of showing signs that you are dating each other exclusively. Uh, for one, do you 
you know, kiss? <laughs> Do you like smooch a little bit? That would be probably a sign that you're at, you're at least date you're at least seeing each other. You're dating, if not exclusively. Uh, are you? What what kind of events are you going to together? Are you just going and getting a cup of coffee every now and again, or are you attending a wedding together? Have you invited her to meet your family? Maybe not your parents, but maybe your siblings, or have you brought her into your friend group? Have you, you know, I, I agree. It doesn't need to be like you're in middle school and you say, hey, Teehee, would you be my girlfriend, please? Um, though you might be that blunt, but I just think there are gradations of seeing each other. If you're going on walks and still being rather coy with one another, that's a, a very elementary stage of dating. If you're, you know, smooching and you pin your varsity pin on her jacket and, you know, I don't know, I don't know, you'd take her up to the sock hop or something, you know, that would be another level. And if you're, if you're going to weddings together, if she knows your family, if she has been incorporated into your group of friends, then that would be another level. And then I think you probably don't need to talk about it too much. I mean, if you find out that she's dating other guys while doing all of that, then, you know, she might not be the gal for you. There's much more to get to, many more mailbag questions. The rest of the show continues now. You do not want to miss it. Become a member. Use code Knowles, Canada, WLES, at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. 